I like the fact that I have a hands-on job. I, I like the fact that I'm involved with produce that comes to us in effectively a raw state, uh, um, pulled from the land, and, and then we turn it into something that is, that is great. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's an old myth about restaurants with views that often the food misses a beat as operators take advantage of a stunning outlook. But in Australia, it's not hard to find locations with a wonderful outlook, and time and time again, venues of this nature prove the old myth wrong. Justin Miles is the executive chef, general manager, and co-owner of Windy Point Restaurant in South Australia. Justin, how are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks, Huck. Yourself? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You've got a, a restaurant there with an absolutely stunning outlook. Um, what's it like driving up the windy road to the restaurant every day and working from there? Oh, look, it, it's not something I ever tire of. It is It is quite something else. I think from our sea level elevation, we're about 235 metres up, which equates to if we were a sky uh, high-rise building, we'd be about the 75th floor. So, What's the challenges of, of running a venue like that and, and delivering an offering that works? Um, I think, as with any hospitality business, it has a myriad of challenges. Certainly here we are very much an iconic business within South Australia. I've been part of the business for 13 years, but the venue itself has been going for 40. Um, We are very much ingrained within a lot of South Australia. South Australians' lives as part of their celebrations, be that anniversaries, birthdays, date nights. Um, it's South Australia is a challenging environment and it, and it always has been. The, the food and wine scene has punched above its weight for a, a long time, many, many decades. Uh, in some ways, it's been a bit of a forefront of um, hospitality. Um, but where we are situated, our, our levels of population, um, it, it, it makes for a challenge. The, the venue itself, Windy Point, is is wonderful. We're not too far. We're probably 15, 20 minutes out of the city, so we're certainly accessible. But, um, yeah, I, I also think there's there's a challenge involved of being a, um, a, a, a venue that has been around for a long time rather than the newest kid on the block. It's, it's important for us to, to try and keep ourselves relevant, to, uh, to maintain high standards and, and certainly deliver so much more than just the view. You've got a, a very busy role, executive chef, general manager, and your, your co-owner as well. What's your day-to-day like? Are, are you less hands-on in the kitchen than you were in the past? Well, uh, certainly up to about two years ago, my role was very much running, driving and strategizing the business. But ever since uh, the COVID and lockdown and for us to be able to, to reopen, I've, I've moved back into the kitchen in a, in a fairly broad, uh, hands-on role. Uh, my life is uh, still very much about the food that we produce, about the um, organisation of the kitchen, but, but I still have to be mindful there is a business to run as well, that, that, I, that I need to take time to be outside of the kitchen, to, to prepare for any day, any week and, and strategize for upcoming uh, months that we have. 
and 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 deal with the, the challenges of hospitality and businesses that are post and somewhat still in the middle of COVID scenarios. The challenges of COVID aside, what's it been like for you sort of re-immersing back into that food side of things? Are you finding that you're cooking differently or seeing um, food differently, stepping back into the kitchen more? Yeah, I guess so. I, th- I think somewhat that that comes also with a level of maturity, that, that, that once you've been around and doing it for a while, and I'm into you know my mid-30s of years I've been cooking since you know, the late 80s, that, that I guess your your palate changes, your style can change so much. I, I stick to very much the foundations what I have. That that our restaurant, we, we talk about the food that we provide is uh, from the nations that surround the Mediterranean. That that being anything from uh, northern Mediterranean through to uh, Middle Eastern, North African, mm. but but you know use, utilizing the techniques are very much French and and an Italian cooking uh, so I, I guess that to, to broaden further uh, my abilities in the kitchen I read a lot I, I, I try and watch a lot I, I'm a bit consumed by food I have been since a, a young man I enjoy being immersed in uh, flavors techniques I, I enjoy chatting to other foodies and and chefs so I, I guess that that's pretty much ongoing for me that the the challenges back into the kitchen have, have been uh, almost that a, a reignition of passion for me I've, I've really enjoyed I, I really love running the business you know that running the business is something I, I feel that that I do pretty well um, but but that uh, it, it can never be removed that, 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 you know, a love of cooking and a love of food is, is quite something to have. You mentioned that that started at quite a young age. Take, take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, so there's some, some uh, very definitive moments in my life. My grandmother on, on my mother's side was a great home cook. Um, I, I spent a lot of time with, with her uh, Tuesdays was bread day. She would make her own bread. Fridays was biscuits and lamingtons, and, and, and so you know, I wasn't. I was never too far away from their house on a Friday. I was keen to be participating in both the making and the consuming. Um, uh, we travelled as a family. My, my parents were uh, career driven. My father was an officer in the navy, and and in, uh, we. Most most children tend to go to three schools in their in their life, uh, a, a couple of primary schools, a, a high school. I went to seven because we'd we'd wow. moved states a couple of times and we moved internationally. One of our the the state move was from Adelaide to Hobart, and we uh, built a house in the the northern suburbs of Hobart, a place called Lena Valley. It's effectively the foot of Mount Wellington. And this was just surrounded by, in, in summertime, wild blackberries, uh, in wintertime, orchards of um, pears and apples. It was just this real food bowl of, of amazing produce. As, as we all know, that, that, that Tasmania is very much a food and wine-driven state, similar to, to, to South Australia. And to be part of that as a young child was great. Um, my mother actually won a scholarship to move to London for a year and she studied in Surrey in, in my mid-teens and then after after her um, study had finished we'd, we'd travelled Europe for, for two months just in a, in, in a car drove around and, and one of the people that we visited was 
a woman she studied with whose parents had a, um, a farm and a house in the village of Squillaci in um, southern Italy. And then, you know, we're talking pistachios, uh, salumi, uh, making their own wine, making their own cheeses. I'd never actually seen anything like that. And and I really thought it was the first time in my life that that I had a true understanding of connection with um, produce, of where it came from, how it was produced, how it was created, rather than it was just something that you consumed. That was was a big um, moment in my life as a 14, 15 year old. Tell us about the move into the industry. What, what what sort of triggered it and and what were the beginnings for you? Oh, okay. So I think it was summer of end of year 10 for me. Realised that my meagre allowance for chores wasn't going to get me far enough to be driving cars and dating girls. And so felt that I had to find some way to be earning a bit of coin. And, and then so I approached a, a, a restaurant, which wasn't too far from where I lived in Hyde Park in South Australia, walked in the back door, they happened to be uh, setting up for an event, which was the next day, and I asked them if there were any jobs going. And they said, yes, you can start now. We need someone to be polishing the cutlery. So I got on that, polished the cutlery. They then, at the end of that two or three hours, said, what are you doing tomorrow night? I said, nothing. Uh, they said, well, can you go and buy some black pants, white shirt, and a bow tie because you need to be running food at the cocktail party event we're doing? I said, fine, and, and then that's how it started. And I then became a waiter and I was working pretty much most Fridays and Saturdays of year 11 and year 12 at, at school and I earned good money, I earned good tips, I enjoyed it. I I fell in love with restaurants really. I, I felt that, that, that kitchens are a, a secret gem. You know, to, to, to those days when kitchens were always hidden behind walls, always hidden behind swinging doors, public really didn't get to see it. And I, and I felt like I had this amazing ticket that I was able to, to look at the, the high energy, the aggression, the uh, creativity, you know, what, what the, the pace of service, it was really something that I found fascinating and, and to actually be able to be part of it, albeit, albeit that I was front of house, was, was an exciting time for me. You worked with uh, Anne Oliver. Tell, tell us about that period of time. Well, so um, I think it, it Marco, Marco Pierre White talks about his restaurant in the 80s and 90s being the SAS kitchen of, of the UK. Olives and Oliver's restaurant, Mistress Augustine's, would would have definitely been up there. It, it certainly was the army. It was a lot of fun. We worked very hard. We did incredible hours. We did incredible food. The food that was done at that time in Adelaide, late 80s, early 90s, was, was just some of the most amazing food that was around at the, at the time. It was a caring environment, but it was also very much one of the things I learned from that environment was if you set your standards incredibly high and you maintain with everybody else that they have to meet those standards, your, your kitchens or your business becomes very much self-governing. It, it, the, the, the staff look after themselves. The, the, the leadership is, is within and, um, and those standards have to be maintained. And Anne was, and in, was incredibly discipline towards herself and towards us as as the staff in in maintaining high standards and really something that that I felt was probably necessary at that point in my career as a young man 2019-2021 to really not only embrace what levels of creativity I might have but to to meet that with levels of discipline of what you needed to do to be 
working in a successful kitchen. It was it was a great time. It was I did the last two years of my apprenticeship there, and then worked for another two years afterwards, and worked my way to to sous chef. But it was just it was an incredible time. Traveling, as you as you mentioned, was something that you were quite familiar with as as a child, and it, it also became a feature of your career for a long period of time. You spent some time in the UK and um, New South Wales. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, that period of your life. Yeah, sure. Uh, the UK, I felt uh, early nineties. I felt that that I, that I wanted to do what at that stage was really a rite of a passage for Australian chefs was to to go overseas. London was tended to be the the, the destination to immerse yourself. And for me, that that I, I I wanted to to see how I would go in a busy starred kitchen uh, and uh, to see what what sort of levels of skill I had, what sort of levels, if I didn't have what it needed to uh, acquire. Um, So I stumped up in in, uh, London, I went walking around the uh, areas of Chelsea, Fulham, Kensington and and looked at restaurants, anything from small little 30, 40 seaters. Uh, to, to larger and, it, and then one day walking down Fulham Road I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Fulham Road I came across this restaurant called Babendum and Babendum was uh, a Terence Conran restaurant run by and part owner of uh, Simon Hopkinson who was the chef and this, the Babendum building was two stories the upper level was a fine diner restaurant the lower level was oyster and uh, lobster bar and it was set in an old Michelin building so you know the Michelin factory from I would imagine early uh, 20th century it was an amazing place it, it, it was uh, it was constantly busy uh, there we would seat 80 people but I think at any time there was 14 in the kitchen uh, you had to be at the outside the kitchen door at quarter to eight each morning there was a, a break in the afternoon where the kitchen was gurneyed between 4 and 4.30 and then you were working straight through lunch service and dinner service and, and pretty much most days that I remember the last tube from South Kensington to Whitechapel where I lived was about 12.15 and I was pretty much running for that tube every night <laughs> so that they were incredible long days the money was no good it didn't worry me the, the only regret I really have uh, is that you saw none of London. You spent your entire time in kitchens, uh, in pubs on your days off, and on the tube, so you're effectively underground for any of your travel time. I went back to, to London some years later and then spent the entire holiday with my wife wandering around because I wanted to actually see what London looked like. But but really great times, and, and, and it was a tough kitchen, and, and I did okay in the kitchen. It's, uh, for me, probably one of the biggest highlights of working in the UK was at that time the produce that was coming out of southern France, northern Italy, was just some of the food uh, uh, that I'd never, ever seen before. It was it was something amazing, the, the, the levels of quality, the... the diversity of food uh, the the seafood from Scotland and the North Sea it was just something that, that I'd never seen before and, and this restaurant obviously was fortunate enough that it was able to be um, part of such great purchasing because we were busy but but the the quality of produce from from around Europe was just something else after that experience was it was it hard immersing yourself back into the industry in Australia Oh, I, I, I guess so. I, I sort of came back to, to Adelaide and I was, I was a little bit lost. I wasn't really sure while I was back. I, I grabbed a couple of 
uh, low-end uh, jobs. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, that I was given an opportunity. I was part of the starting team for Michael Hill Smith's Universal Wine Bar, Rundle Street mm. in Adelaide. That that was ninety two or ninety three, and it, and then that was amazing. That we were talking that he developed. Uh, that restaurant based on Willie's Wine Bar in in Paris, mm. and then and then worked on that concept that he brought to Adelaide, and and then for the next I reckon for the, and then amazing staff, amazing front of house staff, amazing kitchen staff, uh, sommeliers. We had um, staff through there who are now leaders in the wine industry who, who came through and would, would do stints on the floor. Uh, Michael himself is is an incredible incredible man, both business person, uh, now friend and palate, obviously because of his history of great success that he's had within the industry. But it was also a business that for the next five years, I think in Australia, this was how wine bars were modelled. We, we didn't have too many wine bars. It wasn't a big thing in Australia. But if you could look back at it, where we are now with how we eat at restaurants, of, of how a restaurant isn't just a dining room anymore, it has an adjunct area, which could be a bar. It, it, a lot of it is, is because of the vision he had in our of, of what he brought uh, to Australia. You've worked in um, like the New South Wales ski fields and even golf resorts in, in Noosa. How, how different is that environment compared to the commercial kitchens you'd been used to? Yeah, true. Um, I've been a, a bit of a gypsy in a number of uh, <laughs> scenarios. Uh, New South Wales was fantastic. Living in Threadwell in the ski fields was something that I went to do for a ski season for uh, just winter and and then I stayed for five years and I lived there year round and uh, winter was as you'd imagine was incredibly busy and 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 uh, you rely on incredible staff that you poach in from various areas Adelaide Sydney Melbourne that you, you try and get to come and work for you for three or four months we were lucky to have a lot of our pool of talent come from uh, restaurants in Adelaide uh, we had a great relationships with uh, Bank in uh, Sydney with Liam Tomlin, with um, the Sawyer Brothers with Level 41. So so our pool of staff that had come and worked with was just incredible. I felt really uh, fortunate to be uh, able to be working with these people and, and, and the fact that we were able to also give them back uh, some form of lifestyle. So, you know, being able to work nights only and, and then spend most of your mornings on the, the ski fields was was something that, that they really enjoyed. I wasn't a skier myself, but I did used to um, promote for those guys to be involved as much as possible. Threadbow, a, a brilliant uh, place to live, um, would, would swell to, you know, three to... Three and a half thousand people in the village at the height of August, which which was you know the the premier month to go skiing, to as little as 150 to 200 people either side of Christmas. So you're talking early, uh, late December, early uh, January. Um, I lived there during uh, what was the 97 landslide, where uh, 18 people lost their lives. The, the the actual apartment that I had was two doors down from the the landslide area, and that was a difficult personal time in, in your life. Uh, if you think of those 18 people that lost their lives and, and, and all of those were year round, that the village effectively lost 10% of their their occupants, you know, that, that affected a number of us incredibly. It, 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 it changed the way we, you, you look at your um, mortality. It, it, um, 
it uh, changed the way that we looked at the village as, as well because obviously not only did we need to do some personal healing but we also needed to do some business healing to, to lift people back up to, to come back to to support that was an, an incredible challenging time but but also very rewarding I, I i look back at my time in in threadbow as as a really significant one in my life as far as personal development went how did uh, windy point restaurant um start for you um so i returned i'd, I'd left adelaide for 12 years but my plan was always to, to return at some stage. It, it really is, as much as we moved around, it, it, it's home for me. It's where I was born. Admittedly, six years later, we, we'd left and and then some uh, eight, nine years later, we, we moved back. But I, um, I always loved Adelaide. I, I love that, that it's, it's, it's a really lovely spot. You know, anybody that lives in Adelaide would, would tell you that it's an easier life than, than if you're living in hustle bustle of Sydney and, and Melbourne. And, and my family's here. I have incredible friends from from childhood are here and, and, and later in life. And I, I wanted to come back, but I didn't want to just come back and take a job. But I'd always had in mind that there was some way that I could put myself to be part of investment or find a way to... to um, gain the ability to, to purchase a property or, or purchase uh, equity within a property. Uh, once I decided to come back, and then and, and that was uh, was a time after I was in Thread, uh, in Noosa, so between Adelaide and Threadbar, I lived in Noosa for five years, and, and during that time I met my now wife, who's a wee Scottish lass, and she, uh, uh, she her story had a lot of similarities to mine. She was married to a... Uh, a bloke who was in the Air Force. She had, or they had three children, which are now my three step kids. And uh, they had uh, moved from Scotland to Germany, to England, to Cyprus, to Adelaide over the, the course of about 10, 12 years. And, 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 and so I've always admired uh, people, and especially, I guess, my parents, because they did. I've always admired people that that pack up, move their lives, take a real risk and, and migrate to somewhere far from where their actual roots are, where their safety is, where their security is. I, I, I guess my parents did that really successfully and, 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 and I enjoyed moving, but, but I always I feel the same about we have a number of staff who we've had here at Windy Point for a number of years who have migrated from Europe, from Asia, and, and, and that's an incredible thing for people to do, I, I feel, to, to really... To put yourself under a fair bit of pressure of going into the unknown and 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 for the want of creating a um, a better life. So uh, to digress, so so we met. I um, uh, uh, wasn't living in Adelaide. Lynn, my wife, was very keen that I come back and live in Adelaide if I was to pursue the relationship any further, which I uh, agreed to. And one of the things at the time that, that uh, there's, there was a, a gentleman in Adelaide called Bill Spar. Bill Spar was a accountant, developer, restaurateur, visionary. was was a, a brilliant mind of of um, various hospitality businesses and had been so for a number of years. And he rang me up and said, "I heard you're coming back. What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm not really nothing planned at the at the moment. What do you have?" And he said, "Well, you're more than welcome to come to Windy Point." Uh, Executive chef has just left. You can take over that role. We'll talk about equity in a, in a little while, but why don't you see how you go? And I'd uh, not thought about it before. I'd had some connections with Windy Point that 
I'd eaten here but many, many years before, probably in the mid-80s, not long after it opened in 82. And so I came back into what was a incredibly busy environment and we're, we're a, at that stage a fine dining restaurant uh, upstairs, seats about 100 people and a... Um, uh, a, a mid-restaurant cafe on the lower level, which sat also about 70 to 80 people, a large plethora of staff, um, plenty of challenges, taking over from someone that had been here for 15 years themselves. Um, but Bill was incredibly supportive, uh, um, incredibly innovative, which I really enjoyed. I really loved chatting about it. But also he was incredibly figure-minded, that, that you couldn't come up with a an idea or a plan or something you'd alter or change unless you had your figures in place. Because if you didn't have your figures in place, there was no point that he was going to talk to you any further. And and, and so this was a real, like I'd, I'd always been, as a chef, I'd always been a reasonable chef. I'd always been a, a good service chef. Um, probably something that was uh, lacking was the ability to be a good leader and also to have business acumen. And, and the, the times that I spent with, with him, which unfortunately he did pass away in 2012, but the four years that we uh, spent together as business partners, I, I just loved. I, I felt that the knowledge that he imparted on me that I still use today, um, that I'm now fortunate that my business partner is his son, who also is an incredible hospitality uh, mind and, and, and really has helped Windy Point be we're talking end of this year we turn 40 and and wow. there's, there's not too many uh, businesses let alone hospitality businesses which which can really hang their hat on that sort of longevity and 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 then the reason behind it is squarely because of the foundations that he put in place and it is passed on to all of us um 40 years is extraordinary and i know you've been there for about 14 or 15 how, how different is it to when you first started there? How much has it changed from a food and service perspective? Um, I, I think we've really evolved. I, I thought I think that fine dining almost had a little blip in uh, the end of the two thousands, uh, eight, nine, and ten. It became a bit of a service model that that wasn't uh, working as successfully. I, I think the um, the average checks will probably support that. That that it, it just became an a non-sustainable entity within restaurants and then so a lot of restaurants that were like us a similar ilk uh, changed to to rather than be referring as a fine diner referred to as formal dining and 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 i think that, that what happens was we removed the really difficult expensive time efforts of fine dining but created a, a formal dining which certainly had still exceptional service possibly without a bit of the ponce and ceremony that was going with fine dining and then also the focus moved from from what was heavy service to a real balance of food wine service and ambience from from that i think we've created a, a our restaurant is still Great glassware, great crockery, linen, um, uh, great furnishings, but but I feel that that our our formal model is approachable. Um, it uh, gives us a bit more flexibility 
possibly and and it really maintains our focus on the entire experience rather than just the heavy service experience the Adelaide food scene has really evolved incredibly over the last decade, but the state is renowned for its amazing produce. How have you seen the evolution and, and how do you see where Adelaide is in regards to food? Certainly investment. You know, the, the, one of the things that, that's that's happened in Adelaide over the last 10, 15 years, which has probably been lacking before that, is that the money that's been put back into uh, restaurant spaces, the money that's been put into wineries to I- experiences. It's, it's, it's proof that the, the tourism dollar uh, works very well in um, South Australia. It's proof that our biggest industry, the wine industry, is incredibly healthy. And also that the our guests, the, the, the ones that, that really are about paying the bills, are, are, are very keen to be supporting uh, what businesses have been opened, that have been developed, that have been created. I was always very jealous as a young man of Melbourne because I felt Melbourne had an incredibly high level of um, support to anything they did. They went to sporting events, they went to the theatre, they went to uh, restaurants. They were just out uh, doing stuff. And, And I think that that level in South Australia with what's happened in the city, with the development of Adelaide Oval, uh, the festival theatre with the number of um, properties that have gone towards the river now and into the CBD and, and then wider also through the Adelaide Hills and, and McLaren Vale, the various wineries that, that surround us. The investment's been there. The, the, uh, the level of being able to um, poach staff to, to get them interested in being part of what South Australia is doing has really impacted on the level that people also go out, levels of education, level of people of understanding of, of food. It, it's been really exciting to see the last 15 to, to 20 years in, in South Australia, Adelaide specifically for me, but, but South Australia, how it has grown and, and, and how it's really become a, a, a wonderful destination state, I think. The last couple of years have been challenging for everyone. Has there been some positives and benefits throughout this time that have altered the way that you approach the art of hospitality? Yeah, I, I think for, for for us specifically as a business that, you know, once COVID hit, we we're talking late March 2020, and then I think I spent the next week feeling sorry for myself and, and, and uh, worried about where we were going to be placed, what was going to happen going forward. Um, it, it gave an opportunity for two things. Uh, one, that I felt that I could take some time to strategize, uh, which was to analyze exactly what our business was. What, what did it need? What was going to be the, the best scenario we could create for one, our customers, for our staff, and, and for our financial security going forward. Um, and, and it's something that, that you rarely get in, in hospitality is, is time. You, you never have enough hours in a day. You're always putting stuff off for the next day. You're, you, you're trying to, to come up with solutions that, 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 are, that just require a bit of time, a bit of effort. And, and, and so there was two things that happened with us. One, we were on the, the bottom level of the, the venue, what was the Windy Point Cafe. We demolished and we demolished that in February. So there was no way we could go back. It was, it was a shell. We had a plans to put in place that we were going to turn it into an upscaled um, pizzeria. So I went from 
the balance of what was going to be cooking and and in looking at this renovation to not cooking and and not any of the venue being open and I went to effectively site manager so I was open opening up at 6am in the morning I was welcoming the tradies we'd have a little bit of a a chat meet and and we could take we took a bit of time to to then rebuild what was down we'd we'd planned to do it in nine weeks and I think we ended up doing it in about 13 or 14. We painted four times because we, we, we just had the ability to really make some good decisions about what we we're going to do going forward and 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 also to to it it gave an opportunity also for our staff i mean that covid was impactful on staff as the greatest without a doubt and um for us that we we were fortunate that large level of our staff was with us for some time and then so most of them qualified uh for job keeper we were able to um utilize them and and a lot of it was their choice if they they wanted to come in and be part of what was the demolition then the renovations and and really putting that area of the the cafe now bird box pizzeria into place for for me i spent half a day on the end of um a um jackhammer (laughs) <laughs> that was part of it. We uh, assisted with the painting. We assisted with the gyp rockers. We uh, did very small amounts with the tiling, but but, but other issues like that. It it, it it was different than just signing checks, um, not just for me, but for the staff. We, we all felt very um, um, empowered uh, and participating. In, in what was the change of the environment that was that was fantastic downstairs in, in the restaurant upstairs I um, I tried to give myself an hour every day of one learning what the path out of COVID would possibly look like to, to being part of there are a number of webinars and various videos that people were putting up to, to try and help through and then also spend some time to, to strategize about what would be best for the business, as we, as I said, the guests and the staff. And then that also meant was having a balance of lifestyle. So we went from what was effectively a seven-day business, and so each of the venues was six days with each closed. The restaurant closed on a Sunday, and, and then what was the cafe closed on a Monday. That so We've now changed that to where a four-day business um, included lunches back into it. So instead of going from effectively, what, six days by two businesses, 12 services, we've, we've cut down to eight services, lost four. But our staff have so much of a greater lifestyle balance we 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 have so much of a level of time and organization we wednesdays is a big meet day for us as as, as meetings go is to i spend time with uh, our operations manager my business partner uh, uh, key staff that are within the the business and we really one analyze what the weekend was and then strategize and, and plan for the the week coming ahead and and so it just the, the, the machinations of, a, of a, a restaurant can be really difficult. It can be like a, a a constant tide that you just can't keep back. You can't, you constantly struggle with. And, and, and for me at the moment, and, and I hope for what this business is at the moment, we, we're really in a, in, a, in a place where we have time, planning, structure, uh, the, the ability to, to make decisions that aren't, off the cuff and uh, and halfway through service, and and I also find for me that you know as a 
fifty something bloke, the uh, the trials of of cooking and running a, a restaurant business aren't easy. But but balance that with now what I have as a, as a um a significant lifestyle balance. That that's certainly a positive that's come out of COVID. You've become an important part of uh, within the history of the hospitality scene in in Adelaide. Uh, what is it that you love about what you do? What is it that I love? Look, I, I love. I still from 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 that sixteen seventeen year old young man that that was wide eyed by restaurants and kitchens and and uh, by. The, the, the business of, of a restaurant itself, I'm, I'm pretty much still that guy. I, I still really have a, a love for uh, restaurants. I have a love for the hospitality industry. I, I think it's an incredibly rewarding but difficult environment. I feel that it, it's not for everyone. There are, there are so many gifts that hospitality industry can uh, give you, but there's also there's a, there's a bit of hurt that goes along with that. There's 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 lack of you have to you have to give up a bit to be successful in hospitality. There's no doubt about it, and I'm not trying to belittle other industries out there that also people work very hard. But you you, you give up your nights, you give up your weekends, you give up family times, you give up the concert. Uh, for your child, you give up the the sporting um, match for your child. There's birthdays, the anniversaries, all of those things are uh, are, are difficult to to do. But for me, to be involved in in a, an industry which is heavily criticised, hospitality, sporting, and television must be the three heavily criticised industries. But the rewards that you gain from people that 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 dine at your establishment from being able to train young men and women into great leaders, great chefs, great front of house, great sommeliers, great business people that, that, that I hope that we do, that uh, to have those young men and women out there within the industry running their own businesses, running their own kitchens in South Australia and, and, and abroad is incredibly uh, rewarding for me to have to be reasonably busy and then to have a high level of satisfaction by a guest that, that dine here is incredibly rewarding. I, I, I guess that the sacrifices that need to be made um, are justified by those rewards, and and and, and for me, it, it's something that I, that I love. I couldn't be someone that that sat in an office, pushed a pen or a, a mouse a keyboard. I like being. I like the fact that I have a hands-on job. I, I like the fact that I'm involved with produce that comes to us in effectively a raw state, uh, um, pulled from the land, and and then we turn it into something that is that is great. I, I enjoy being part of that. Um, it's just it's a very rewarding industry it's certainly not for everyone I, I, I know that um, I try to encourage all of the young men and women that, that come through here that, that it really is it, it, it's got some knocks it's got some hurt but uh, the rewards should you gain them by a bit of hard work and a bit of nous and and knuckling down to, to become someone good are uh, great you know I, I do think it's a it's a wonderful industry well justin it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear your story uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon 
Oh, Huck, thanks so much, mate. Look, it, it really great to be on, great to chat, and what I think is a, a fantastic initiative that you've set up, and, and, and I hope to catch up soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>